Chapter Two of the Convict by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. It was a dark autumnal night. The wind was strong and very fierce, sweeping along over fields and downs, tearing the branches and the withering leaves from the trees, and screaming along the rocks and tall precipitous cliffs upon a high and iron-bound part of the coast of England there was no moon in the sky but from time to time the sudden glance and disappearance of a star showed how rapidly the dull grey clouds were hurried over the face of the heavens and the moaning of the trees and shrubs added to the wild whistling of the gale showed how it vexed the still reposing rooted things of creation in its harsh fury as it swept through them on the summit of one of the most elevated points upon the coast there was a little indentation extending from the highest point of the downs to the edge of the cliff where it was somewhat lower than at other places this little hollow was sheltered from most of the winds that blew except when a gale came very nearly due west and in consequence of this protection some low scrubby trees had gathered themselves together as in a place of refuge never venturing to raise their heads above the neighbouring slopes but spreading out broad and tolerably strong in the lower part of the dell from them there was a footpath extending on either side on the one leading to the top of the precipice on the other to the high road which lay at about half a mile's distance the path was little frequented and the short mountain grass encroaching upon it here and there almost obliterated the track but in passing towards the top of the cliff it wound in and out amongst some large stones and rocks with here and there a scattered tree overshadowing it as it ran on by the side of one of those rocks on the night of which i speak and guarded by it from the direct course of the blast were seated three powerful men each of whom had reached what is called the middle age they had a lantern with them and between the lantern and the road one of them was seated with his back to the latter his left shoulder touching the rock and his face towards the sea thus no one coming from the eastward could see the light itself although perhaps a faint general glimmer could be perceived but at the same time the lantern could be distinguished by any one on the sea at the distance of half a mile or more within that distance the interposing cliff must have cut it off from the eyes of wanderers upon the wave the men were evidently watching for something and as usually happens in such moments of expectation their conversation was broken and desultory none of them seemed to be armed and two of them were clothed in sailors jackets while the third wore a large shaggy greatcoat such as was commonly at that time used by pilots he was a tall strong good-looking man enough with a dark complexion and a skin apparently well accustomed to exposure in all sorts of weathers being rough and florid and appearing perhaps more so than was really the case from the glare of the lantern and the contrast of his own grey hair as its long curls waved about in the night wind the others were ordinary hard-featured men with that sort of grave self-composed aspect which is not at all unusual in sailors of all classes men of few words and vigorous action who can perhaps troll a song or crack a jest with their boon companions but who are the most opposite creatures in the world to the sailor of drama or romance 
but he in the rough coat had something about him which could not well be passed without attention by any one who had even ordinary powers of observation and yet it is very difficult to describe what it was for as he sat there perfectly still and tranquil there was nothing to all appearance likely to call for remark yet it would have been difficult for any one to watch him at that moment without feeling that there was something impressive in his figure a dignity of aspect it may be called for there is such a thing even in the rudest and least cultivated the wind whistled loud and strong it was heard rushing and roaring farther down and hissing and screaming high above over the bleak tops of the hills there was a cheerless desolate sound about it a sound of warning and of woe well might the traveller hasten towards his journey's end and the weary houseless wanderer seek the shelter of shed or outhouse or the warm side of the farmer's stack but still those three men sat there almost motionless the rock protected them to a certain degree but the blast would whirl round the point and sweep chilling in amongst them they were very silent too and not a word had been spoken for some ten minutes when one said to the other it won't do the wind's getting to the southward and if it shifts but one point she can't lay her course we must wait and see said the man in the rough coat i hope they won't try if the wind does shift it has shifted already said the third it is coming right over from the great house no reply was made and they all fell into silence again i hope your people are keeping a good look-out master clive said one of the two sailor-looking men after another long pause didn't i hear that you had sent your two young men away over to dorchester i did it on purpose replied the other but do not you be afraid of the look-out it is trusted to one who won't be found wanting it would be awkward if any of them were to pounce upon us rejoined the other they might rue it replied the man in the pilot's coat and again the conversation stopped about three minutes after there was heard a loud halloo from the side of the high road and one of the men started up but the voice of him they called clive was heard saying in a low tone lie close lie close i don't know the tongue some drunken fool perhaps who has lost his way but we shall soon see and at the same time drawing the lantern nearer to him he put his hand into one of the large pockets of his coat and pulled out a pistol which he looked at by the dull light the next instant the halloo was repeated and the cock of the pistol was heard to click they're coming this way said one of the sailors hadn't we better douse the glim master clive no replied the other sternly would you have me endanger the boat and our friends in her to save myself from a little risk as he spoke steps were heard coming along the side of the hill and the moment after a voice called aloud is there a person of the name of clive here the tone was that of a gentleman there was no country accent no broad pronunciation and clive instantly started up replying yes what do you want with me i am sorry to tell you said the voice they had heard but an accident has happened to your daughter and at the same time a tall powerful and handsome young man advanced towards the light it is not i trust very serious he added in a kindly tone as if anxious to allay the apprehensions which his first words must have produced i am afraid her right arm is broken 
but she complains of no other injury the old man put the pistol he had in his hand to the half-cock and replaced the weapon in his pocket gazing at the stranger's face with a look of apprehension and inquiry but without making any reply for some moments are you telling me the truth sir he said at length i am indeed replied the stranger i would not deceive you for the world a gentleman with whom i have been travelling and myself got out of the carriage to walk up the hill and just at the top i saw something lying near the road and heard as i thought a groan on going nearer i found a girl partly covered with stones and dirt and apparently unable to extricate herself she said she was not much hurt but could not shake off the mass that had fallen upon her being unable to use her right arm it's that devil of a wall that has fallen upon her said one of the sailors i knew it would come down some day in the first gale for it was all bulging out and nothing but loose stones at the best exactly so said the stranger such was the account of the accident she herself gave but it would seem that the wall brought part of the bank with it which probably prevented the stones from injuring her more severely where is she demanded clive abruptly she is in the carriage just where the path joins the high road we were taking her home as fast as possible when she asked me to come down hither and give you information of what had happened for she said it was necessary you should know ay she is a dear good girl said the man in reply she always thinks of those things but i must think of her i will go up with you sir you stay here lads and keep a good look out till after till after the tide has made it will be no use staying any longer and with a quick step he led the way along the edge of the little basin in the hills taking a much shorter path than that which had been followed by his visitor while seeking him as he went he asked a few questions brief and abrupt but to the point and after every answer fell back into thought again it is probable that apprehension for his child occupied his mind in those silent pauses for the heart of affection is never satisfied with any tale however true however circumstantial when a beloved object has been injured we always ask ourselves is there not something more at length as they mounted over the slope the lighted lamps of a carriage could be seen on the high road at a little distance and in a moment after for he now sprang forward eagerly clive was by the side of the vehicle two servants one of whom was dressed in the costume of a courier with a gold band round his cap and a good deal of black silk braid on his coat were standing by the side of the carriage and one of them immediately threw open the door i am not hurt dearest father said a sweet mellow voice from within that is to say i am very little hurt these two gentlemen have been very kind to me and would insist upon taking me home otherwise i would not have gone away indeed you would have done very wrong to stay my child answered clive and i thank the gentlemen much for their kindness can you walk now helen she shall not walk a step to-night mr clive said a young gentleman who was sitting in a farther corner of the carriage she is not fit for it and we will not suffer such a thing nay more i think it will be very much better for you to get in and take her home i and my friend can follow on foot very well it is but a short distance and she has been telling me the way here muller open this door and before any one could stop him he was out of the carriage clive made some opposition but he suffered it to be overruled by the persuasions of the two gentlemen 
and in a minute or two was seated by the side of his daughter in the handsome travelling carriage which had brought her thither and was rolling away towards his own house the road to which the postillion seemed to know well the two young gentlemen sauntered slowly after on foot conversing over the accident which had diversified their journey she seems to me to be exceedingly pretty said the younger one who had been left with her in the carriage while the other went to seek clive her language and manners too rejoined the other are very much superior to her father's apparent station what in heaven's name could she be doing out there at this time of night perhaps looking for her lover replied the younger with a laugh no no said his companion her own words and her father's will not admit of such a supposition i have some doubt as to the trade of the parties but she certainly seems very little fitted to take part in it if it be what i suspect are you sure you know the way oh quite sure answered the other we are to go on till we come to a finger-post and then to turn down the lane to the left that will lead us to the house and she says there is no other there the moon is getting up i think to guide us said the elder of the two young men and then after a moment's silence during which his thoughts wandered wide he added i dare say we shall be able to get some information at the house as to this good master clive's avocations he had a cocked pistol in his hand when i came up and did not seem at all well pleased at being disturbed in such sort of chat they walked on the moon rising slowly and spreading her silvery light over the scene sometimes she was hidden for a moment by the rushing clouds but with the peculiar power of the soft planet her beams seemed to absorb the vapours that sought to obscure them as calm truth shining on and growing brighter as it rises devours the mists of prejudice and error with which men's passions and follies attempt to veil it in about a quarter of an hour they reached the finger-post which had been mentioned and there found one of the servants waiting to guide them on the way by him they were informed that the house was not more than a quarter of a mile distant and although one of the young gentlemen said that it might have been as well to order the carriage to come back to the high road as soon as it had set the poor girl and her father down the other replied that it would be much better to go and see how she was as there might be no surgeon in the neighbourhood and they might be able to render some assistance a minute or two after the road led them to the brink of a little dell narrow and well wooded on the other side of which rising high above the trees appeared a tall house flat and not very picturesque except from its accessories although the moon was now shining bright on the only side which the travellers saw the road winding about to avoid the dell carried them round to the other side of the building where they had to pass through a large farmyard the dogs in which recorded in very loud tones their protest against the admission of any strangers although an old woman-servant with a light shaded by her apron was waiting at the door to receive the expected guests the place into which they were admitted was evidently a large farmhouse of a very comfortable description it might have been in former times indeed the seat of some country gentleman of small fortune for the room on the left of the passage in which they entered was handsomely wainscoted with oak each panel of which was surrounded by a very respectable garland of flowers carved in the woodwork there too was a little sideboard partly covered with china and glass 
rather heterogeneous in its parts and which might almost have furnished a history of glassware from the time of the middle ages downwards there were tall venice glasses cut and gilt like attar of rose bottles there was the pleasant large claret glass so light that it added nothing to the weight of the wine within with a white spiral in the stalk and sundry little stars ground upon the delicate sides there was the large goblet somewhat yellowish in tinge rudely and bluntly cut and polished looking almost like a cup of rock crystal and in the centre was an exceedingly beautiful large chalice richly gilt and ornamented very delicate in form but these were mingled with things of more common use some handsome enough in their kind but others of a sort usually to be seen in the basket of an itinerant vendor of crockery and decanters i might go on farther describing many other curious little things which that room contained for there was a number of them but i have gone far enough to give some idea of the place and have done so not without thought for rightly read i know few things that give a more correct indication of the character of particular persons if they have any character at all which is not always the case than the objects with which they surround themselves in their familiar dwellings however the two young gentlemen had hardly time to observe much before the door different from that by which they had entered opened and clive himself came in he had laid aside his heavy coat and now appeared in the dress of a wealthy farmer and certainly a powerful well-looking dignified man he was there was no want of ease in his manners though they were not in the least familiar or self-sufficient there seemed indeed a consciousness of powers mental and corporeal about him a reliance upon his own nature which left not the slightest touch of embarrassment in his demeanour he never seemed to doubt that what he was doing and what he was saying was right though without thinking it at all extraordinary or excellent i am deeply obliged to you gentlemen both he said and to you sir in particular and he turned to the elder of the two my daughter thank god is not much hurt for though her arm is broken i trust we shall get that set speedily i hope you have some surgeon here said the younger gentleman for whatever is to be done had better be done at once none nearer than the town and that is seven miles replied clive most unfortunately i have sent both my men to some distance but i have ordered one of the girls to go and call up the herd and bid him bring the doctor directly why not send one of the post-boys said the young gentleman he is already mounted and two horses will carry us easily on for we cannot have more than two or three miles to go the proposal was adopted with many thanks and the post-boy accordingly set out after which the farmer for so we must call him refrained with a native sense of propriety from loading the two strangers with any further expressions of gratitude but told them that his daughter would be glad to see them before they went to thank them personally for the service they had rendered her she is in the next room he said and will not be satisfied unless i bring you there there was no great resistance made for the younger man had a strong inclination to see whether in the full light she was as pretty as she had seemed and his companion felt that sort of interest in her which a fine mind always takes in those on whom some benefit has been conferred 
the room in which she was adjoined that which they had first entered and was fitted up very neatly though plainly as a little sort of drawing-room the girl herself was seated on a small chintz-covered sofa with her right arm supported by a cushion and one small foot resting on a stool she was certainly exceedingly beautiful with large dark devoted-looking eyes and dark eyebrows and eyelashes but with hair of a light brown and an exceedingly fair skin a mixture of races seemed apparent in her for the hair and complexion of the fair saxon were blended yet not inharmoniously with the dark eyes of more southern lands her hand was small and delicate and her form fine though slight her dress too though plain was very good and ladylike and everything that they saw was calculated to raise greater surprise in the minds of her visitors that she should be out alone apparently watching for something upon the high road in a cold autumnal night gracefully and with much feeling she thanked the two gentlemen and especially the elder for extricating her from her dangerous and painful situation and for the kindness and tenderness which they had afterwards shown her the colour varied a good deal in her cheek as she did so and having received in answer to their questions an assurance that she suffered very little and that from the fact of the mass of earth which came down with the wall having diminished the force of the stones she was uninjured except inasmuch as her arm was broken and her left foot somewhat bruised they took their leave and departed to resume their journey End of chapter 2